Welcome to Black Fashion History, the podcast that celebrates the contributions of Black people to the fashion industry. It's Black history, but make it fashion. And I'm your host, Taniqua Martin. Hey everybody, Black Fashion History is back and hopefully better than ever. But at the very least, we're back with some information for you. You know that we are your number one spot for all things Black history as it relates to the fashion industry, luxury fashion specifically. And we are just here to celebrate all of the great things in Black culture and all the ways that Black culture has changed fashion. If you're new here, welcome, have a seat, chill out, relax, learn something, join into the conversation. And if you're a faithful Black Fashion History listener, then you're really, really going to love this episode. Today, we're going to kind of throw it back to my very first episode of this podcast in September of 2019. I talked about Anne Lowe and her contributions to fashion. And today, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the story and career of Anne Lowe in ways that weren't available before. So I think you're really going to enjoy it. I had the pleasure of talking to Alexandra Deutsch, who is the Director of Collections at Winterthur Museum, Garden, and Library in Delaware, as well as Elizabeth Way, who's an Associate Curator at the Museum at the Fashion Institute of Technology. And she is a guest curator for the Anne Lowe American Couturier Exhibition at Winterthur Museum in Delaware. I talked to them both all about Winterthur's upcoming exhibition on Anne Lowe, which is going to be the largest exhibition to date of her work, featuring about 40 of her timeless and beautiful gowns, as well as work from other Black designers throughout history and present day. The exhibition doesn't open until September 9th of this year, but good thing that Black fashion history is here because we get to give you a little bit of a preview of what you're going to see. Now let's get into my conversation with Elizabeth Way and find out how this exhibition even came to be. I've always loved fashion and kind of when I start to dig into fashion history to just see the stories of people that look like me and their work in fashion because it was hard to find at one point. I think the first person that I found in my research was Ann Lowe and I uh, I was just really excited and been obsessed with her career and her journey since then. Um, And her career journey has opened the doors for me to find out about even more people and for me to even do the work that I do here. So I love that there's going to be an exhibit on her and her work. I'm excited to go and like dig into all of the things and information. I know that you've written a book about her as well and her career. So I would love to know what sparked you and inspired you to take on this project as a guest curator. Well, to start with the exhibition itself, it was actually spearheaded by an amazing researcher named Margaret Powell, who wrote her master's thesis on Anne Lowe and really did the first kind of work uncovering her biography, the details of her early life, and tracing um, her career. Margaret very unfortunately passed away, but she's really the person who started this academic uncovering of Anne Lowe. After she kind of did her initial research, I was in grad school and I was interning at the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture. And at that point, they didn't have their building on the mall yet. They were still in the process of building. And so we were in office space. But my 
supervisor, Elaine Nichols, who is an amazing curator there, she got me started on some really early research on the Black Fashion Museum collection, which they had acquired. And it was really through researching kind of the designers that they had in their files that I came across Anne Lowe. And I ended up writing my master's thesis on both Anne Lowe and the Black dressmaker, Elizabeth Keckley. Margaret, you know, she was at the Carnegie Museum in Pittsburgh, and they were working with Winterthur um, to get this exhibition together. And after she passed away, they wanted to continue it in her memory. And they asked me to step in and curate. Oh, that's beautiful. What can you share about Margaret's work? Because that's my first time hearing that name. Um, And so I would love to know more about her as well, especially since she kind of spearheaded this exhibition. So she was an excellent scholar in decorative arts, and she attended the Corcoran School in Washington, D.C., and then she interned at the Hillwood Museum in Washington, D.C., which is the uh, state of Marjorie Merriweather Post, of the Post Serial Fortune, and she was a client of Anlo. And so while Margaret was there, she worked with a dress that is attributed to Anlo, which will be in the exhibition. And so that's really what kind of sparked her interest in Anlo is really through her material culture. And that led her to her master's thesis. And so she has contributed to a couple of published projects in connection with Anlo dresses that are available online. She also had um, a, an amazing blog, which unfortunately does not continue. And she also contributed to a children's book that came out pretty recently on Anlo. So she does have some work. And then one of the chapters in our exhibition book for the Winterthur exhibition is a condensed version of her master's thesis. So I was really, really happy to be able to include her original scholarship that laid the groundwork for so much of what I do in the exhibition book. I'm taking notes because I'm going to look all that stuff up later because I'm really excited. I definitely want to dig into that. But I read that this is the largest exhibition of Anne Lowe's work to date. I know that some of her pieces, as you mentioned earlier, were in the Smithsonian Museum because they had acquired that collection from the Black Fashion Museum. So how did this particular exhibition come together to become the largest one of her work? You know, how were you all able to find those things, find the information? And then why is it important to share this with the public now? So this exhibition comes together at Winterthur, and although Winterthur does not really have kind of a formal contemporary fashion, 20th century fashion collection, they really have an amazing textile lab. And a lot of these pieces needed conservation and, of course, dressing and things like that. So Winterthur, their team has just been so amazing in bringing it all together. As far as locating the objects, so I've been working on research and low for uh, about 10 years. We had Margaret's kind of notes and just the knowledge of, you know, the experience of finding her pieces. Some of them are pretty accessible through websites like the Smithsonian's and the Met also holds 10 that are available viewing on their website. Yes. And a lot of them were included in the American fashion exhibition that they did last year. They had a whole kind of section devoted to Anne Lowe. And then, you know, it was kind of through word of mouth, the more I researched her, the more people from other institutions and even private individuals there was a lot of press on Anne Lowe's clients. And so sometimes I was able to kind of trace that back. People still had their material culture. We are really, really lucky to be able to borrow a bridal gown from the wedding of Elizabeth Mance, who got married in 1968. It's one of the mm. most kind of contemporary pieces in the exhibition, but that was from her private collection. She lives in Europe and her sister-in-law has been so kind. Diane Mance in 
facilitating this loan. And we were also able to borrow the two bridesmaids gowns from her bridesmaids, Sybil Gand and Betty Wooden. So we have this trio. And Elizabeth Mance, her father was a very prominent international civil rights leader. And they were a Black family in Washington, D.C., very prominent. Elizabeth Mance was a concert pianist. And so Anne Lowe talked about how important that was for her late in her career to be able to have Black clients and really be able to kind of bridge those two worlds of her career and her personal life. So we have pieces coming from Cincinnati, from Nebraska, you know, she had clients all over the country. It's been an amazing effort being able to bring all this research together. The Black Fashion Museum did an exhibition on Anne Lowe in the 1980s, but this one will be much larger. So we're really excited. And as far as bringing this to the public at this moment, you know, I think that there's more and more interest in kind of supporting Black makers and Black creators. That's become such an important part of the Black Lives Matter movement. And we see these kind of initiatives within fashion led by people like Aurora James and others. But I really think it's important to note that Black designers have a long lineage and are very influential in American fashion culture. And Anne Lowe is such a perfect example of that. So it's so important to support the designers that we have today, but also to realize they come from a long line of influential fashion right. makers. Well, speaking of, like, how would you say Ann Lowe's work and style has helped lay the foundation for American fashion today? And not just for Black designers, but for all designers. Absolutely. And so Ann Lowe worked in kind of a niche area of the American fashion system. What she did was really closer to haute couture. It mm-hmm. was made for measure, one of a kind, made for a client. And that's really a tradition um, that we more associate with Paris and haute couture. Right. But that was the way people had their clothes made in the 19th century. She learned from her mother and her grandmother, who had both been enslaved, who had been able to take these amazing skills that they were able to use to kind of navigate and survive enslavement, and then also create a life for themselves, a way to thrive within the Jim Crow South. So just this amazing lineage of skill and talent, she took that and she really kind of exploded it into this idea of the designer. She weathered this transition from the dressmaker to the designer. And at that point, it's not very many women were able to do that. If we look at fashion designers, even really kind of influential fashion designers like Halston or Stephen Burroughs, who are working in the 1960s, these are men. But Anne Lowe was really able to make that transition through her exposure in the press. And so she really built the building blocks of what it meant to be a designer at that time. So she helped contribute to that image. So that was really important. But her clients were very, very prominent, very famous people. Jacqueline Kennedy is probably the most famous. But people emulated their style. When Jackie Kennedy got married, that made the front page of newspapers in American cities. And so people saw that dress. And even though Anne Lowe didn't get credit for it at the time, how many kind of brides looked at that and said, oh, I want to dress like that. And, you know, how many of their daughters saw their wedding dresses and said, I want to dress like that. And so we really see this ripple effect. And, you know, so many of her pieces were worn by prominent women and had that effect throughout her career. It's not really even something we're able to trace but we know that it existed. You mentioned that some of her work went unrecognized, or you can tell me if it did or if it didn't, but did that present a challenge in your research, you know, throughout your years and your master's thesis, as well as like the research and um, the coming together of this exhibition? 
Well, later in her career, she worked for a company called Madeleine Couture that was owned by a couple named Ione and Benjamin Stoddard. And they were really interested in kind of promoting her. And they hired a press agent and they they were the ones who really helped her secure national press. Like we have the article in the Saturday Evening Post. She appeared on the Mike Douglas show on national television. And they really helped orchestrate all of that. Now, Anne, how about the title of this article, Society's Best Kept Secret? Why was it kept such a secret that you were around? Well, I was introduced to society by a leading society woman. And I didn't mix my clientele. So many of the women, society women, allowed their daughters to come to my shop and feel safe. As Mrs. Um, Dillon Undersecretary of State's wife. Mm-hmm. So I should never, never change my shop. Keep it that way always. It's really at that point that she's able to kind of claim credit for all of these designs that went uncredited for so many years. So, you know, she talks a lot about making Jacqueline Kennedy's wedding dress, but she also talks about making Olivia de Havilland's 1947 Oscar dress. So that was under a different label. And, you know, the American system doesn't work in the way, you know, just like if you were designing for H&M or something, you know, it's the company name, not your name. But she was able to go back and add in all of that history herself, which I think is really important. So even though it came later in her career, she was able to kind of document all of the influence that she had and lay it out for researchers like me to come along and discover it later. Yeah, I'm always fascinated by the amount of information that curators like you are able to uncover about a lot of these people. And I don't even know that she was able to kind of fill in her own history with a little bit of a press run, so to speak, before, you know, that she was no longer here with us. I think it's amazing that she was able to kind of document her own story, which is very important, especially for like designers and fashion and creators here today, because, you know, you want to have the ability to add a name to the work that you've done so people can know the things that you've contributed in this space. So I loved hearing that. And I know that this exhibition not only recognizes Ann Lowe, but recognizes some other Black designers in the industry as well. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, who else we can see here and why their work was chosen to be a part of this exhibition? Absolutely. So we wanted to kind of bring her story into the contemporary moment and think about the foundation that she laid as a fashion designer. For example, two of the people that we have featured are Tracy Reese and B. Michael, and they really kind of carry on the legacy that Anne Lowe created in different ways. So B. Michael most kind of directly is a couturier. You know, he works one-on-one on clients and he's based in New York and kind of fighting the tide of ready-to-wear through his couture designs. And so just like Anne Lowe, he's working in a very similar way. And that way is much kind of closer to this artisanal way of creating clothes. It's all about craft, but it's also all about the human relationships that you have with your clients. And in another way, Tracy Reese, who is creating ready-to-wear, she really kind of takes that femininity and that kind of embellishment style that Anne Lowe was so, so famous for, and she really updates it and modernizes it. For example, one of the dresses we have by her is this beautiful white cutwork dress in this kind of fit and flare silhouette. So very much of the 1950s, early 60s that Anne Lowe was working with. But she talks about how, you know, the cutwork is reminiscent of lace, but that, you know, chemical lace that more commercially available today is so bad for the environment. So Tracy Reese is finding ways to kind of take that craftsmanship, but 
create it in ways that are more sustainable and also much more affordable. Because if you don't have chemical lace, you have handmade lace, which is, of course, kind of so expensive. So Tracy Reese is really able to, I think, kind of translate some of those ideas that were really important to her design and Lowe's design philosophy to a contemporary market. So based on your research, how have you seen the industry change in regards to recognizing Black designers, um, crediting Black designers, but also offering resources to Black designers? You know, it, what's interesting is that, you know, I've done other research that looks at ready-to-wear designers in the 1960s and 70s. And some of the conversations that they were having then are the same conversations we're having now. Mm-hmm. It's about financing. It's about exposure. It's about getting into the stores. All of these issues that are kind of systemic issues that are not originating in the fashion industry, but are really a reflection of what's happening in wider society. There were so many articles in the 1960s about specific funds for Black designers because they couldn't get bank loans and things like that to fund their businesses. And we have those same conversations today. But I do think that we have kind of bigger and and stronger organizations. Again, like, you know, historically we had NAFAD, which was an organization that at one point was headed by Zelda Wynn Valdez um, and Mm -hmm. many, many other designers that was supporting Black designers and accessories and designers. And today we have Harlem Fashion Row. There's the Black Fashion Collective on the West Coast. You know, we have organizations and movements like the 15% Challenge. So we do have kind of these industry organizations that are stepping up to kind of provide that extra, that extra support that Black designers need. But there's so many industries, I would say almost every industry in which because of the systematic oppression of the Black population, that support is needed. So I do think fashion, there are a lot of Black fashion designers, whether they're kind of in the press or not. And they are really interested in building community and educating the next generation, helping them out so everyone doesn't have to learn the lessons back at square one. And I think that's a really it's a really beautiful thing within an industry to have that kind of support. Absolutely. I'm going to pivot here just for a second because I do want to hear more about like your journey into fashion and how you came to this point of being like the researcher that you are. So what kind of inspired you to get into fashion to begin with? So I wanted to be a fashion designer when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I loved reading Vogue. It was really kind of through magazines that I really fell in love with fashion. And and so I went to my undergrad. I was at the University of Delaware and I studied apparel design, but also history because if history was just something I really loved and I really enjoyed in high school. And so it was kind of like my fun nature. (laughs) By the time I graduated, I realized that I didn't think I really had what it took to be a designer, but I really loved pattern making. So I continued that education. I was at Central St. Martin's for a short course on pattern making, and I worked in the industry for a little while. But I didn't really love working in the fashion industry. The kind of environment of it was pretty intense. And so Mm -hmm. I wanted to find ways to incorporate more of my interest in history. So I did theater costuming for a little while, but then I wanted to get more into the academics of it. So I applied for graduate school at New York University at their costume studies program. And it was really upon graduating there that I started at the museum at FIT, where I've been for, it'll be 10 years this fall. So I started as a curatorial assistant and assistant curator, and now I'm an associate curator here. I love that because I know growing up, I wanted to be a designer as well, only because I love fashion and I didn't know of any other fashion career. It was just designer or model. I'm not tall enough to be a model, but I thought, and then I'm like, well, I can't really sew or draw, but I feel like this is the only other (laughs) course of action. 
So I'm always inspired by people like you who have different paths in fashion and, you know, always want to share that with the world to let people know who are interested that there are so many other things that you can do within the industry. You can meld all of your interests together and work in fashion in other ways. And all of those ways are needed. So thank you so much for sharing how you came to this point. So like getting back to the exhibition now. (laughs) How did your work here with Winter Third Museum differ than some of the work that you've done at FIT as a curator? So at FIT, we do all kinds of shows. So I have been able to kind of explore my personal interest in research, which is Black fashion culture. So I co-curated Black fashion designers in 2016. I co-curated an exhibition before that called Global Fashion Capitals. And I worked with my colleague, Ariel Alaya, and we looked at that like kind of fashion happening all over the world, including on the African continent. Anla was really special because I've never done a big monographic show before and really be able to drill down deep into kind of a biography, a design style, a construction style. And really there's so much to learn from fashion objects, as well as like kind of the context of the history of the designer around it. So it was really fun for me to be able to kind of bring that to life through the lens of one designer and through like, you know, dozens of objects. So what is an interesting piece or object that people can look forward to seeing here in this exhibition? Well, I mentioned the Elizabeth Mance wedding dress, which is a really beautiful piece because it really, it really is a, an expression of fashion at that time. So it's 1968 and we can see this columnar silhouette, this very kind of slim 1960 silhouette with these bold flower kind of appliques. So it almost looks like this hippie kind of flower power kind of motif, but then it also has this very long cathedral length train. So she's really marrying kind of like you know, the traditional nostalgia of wedding dresses with what's happening in fashion at that point. And we see other pieces from throughout her career. She has designs from the 1930s that we're borrowing from the Cincinnati Art Museum. And there's one that's made up of a red flower print kind of rayon or silk crepe. And so it's very 1930s. It doesn't have any of that structure that we see in her 50s and 60s pieces. But you can see how she cut out the flowers from the print to create this beautiful tea back. And, you know, she used it as like kind of trimming on the hem. So just the detail, the way she worked with fabric, every little piece is so well thought of and there's so much hand detail in it. So no matter if it's, you know, pieces from the 30s, we do have pieces from the 20s um, that she designed on loan to us from the Henry B. Plant Museum in Tampa, where she spent a good part of her early career. And we have photographs from some of her work in the 1910s. So, I mean, she had an amazingly long career. So to be able to compare her work from the 20s to the late 60s and see how it developed, how it kept up with fashion, but also some of these signatures staying the same, I think is a really fascinating aspect of being able to look at the material culture. So we can certainly read about her and that's really amazing and fun to do, but to see her work, I think is a really special experience. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm like trying to figure out how I can get on. I think this opens in September, right? Yes, September yes, okay, 9th. So I got to book my flights in September to get over there because <laughs> I know this is an exhibition that I don't want to miss. And this would be my first time ever actually seeing any of her pieces in person. So I love that you all were able to kind of gather everything that you could from across the country and bring it in one place to tell the story of her life and her career. What do you think is the most important thing you'd like people to take away after viewing this collection of her work and the additional designers that are going to be featured? Well, I think that 
the thing to take away is really that Anne Lowe was such an influential and highly skilled fashion designer that, you know, the U.S. industry in general isn't really great at remembering our fashion designers, not the way kind of the French kind of, you know, idealize some fashion designers. But her work was so high quality, so well designed, and so impactful in kind of the fashion culture that I really want people to walk away understanding that when we remember a great fashion designer, she really needs to be on that list. And we can carry through that legacy, the way that she managed her career, the way that she made clothes, the way she interacted with her clients, all of those things are being carried over in the the work of the contemporary designers. You said the U.S. isn't really good at remembering their designers like the French are. Can you explain that a little more? What do you mean by that? Well, you know, part of the reason why kind of French designers are so well-remembered is some of these companies still exist, right? Like Christian Dior and Chanel, they have companies to carry on their legacies. Yves Saint Laurent had Pierre Bourget, who like, you know, was keeping him in the conversation that we don't really see that happen in the United States. Some of our Mm -hmm. biggest designers like Halston, like Norman Norell, like these are not household names anymore. And we're talking about like, you know, white men too, you know, it's not, so we haven't even mentioned the women, the black men and women who are designing the people of so many other backgrounds. So it's just, you know, I think that because we're so focused on ready to wear, that's kind of the story of New York fashion. We're always on to the next. And so we have companies like Calvin Klein and Donna Karen and Ralph Lauren that are still with us. But if the company's not around anymore, you know, it seems like we pretty much forget the designer. Right. So I'm hoping that there'll be more interest in kind of American designers who have been so influential to how we all dress today. Yeah, that's an interesting point that you made. And just curious, this is from my own personal knowledge, like how do you think an American designer can become like a Christian Dior in that or you know, like they have that long lasting legacy, like their companies around, like they become a fashion house um, versus a brand that existed for a time period. I mean, I think it really all comes down to economics. Ralph Lauren is going to, his brand is going to outlive the person. It's just, you know, it's not going to kind of collapse when he moves on. So, I mean, it's really about building a big corporation. I mean, if we're talking about how to build a lasting company in the 21st century, it's all about kind of corporations, which is very, very hard for everyone, not to mention black and brown designers who don't have kind of generational wealth behind them. And, you know, it's important to note that Ralph Lauren, you know, started from scratch, you know, as well. But I think if you want to build a lasting brand today, it's all about kind of the money. Now, Elizabeth Way touched a little bit on how this exhibition came to be and how it came to Winterthur, which honestly I thought was a little bit of an odd place to have the largest exhibition of Anne Lowe's work. However, Alexandra Deutsch, the director of collections at Winterthur, shares all of the links that the museum went to to make sure this exhibition was top notch and appropriately honored the designer. We knew we wanted to honor Anne Lowe's history. And so we began kind of putting the pieces together. And what we quickly, fairly quickly discovered is that because Winterthur has these unique resources, not only were we connected with Margaret, who had done this research, but we had our conservation lab, our textile conservation lab, which was going to allow us to do all of the conservation to prepare the garments. And we were going to be able to do that for other institutions and private collections. In addition, we have a relationship with the University of Delaware at Winterthur. And we knew that that was going to benefit the show. 
And I think we all felt deeply committed really not only to Margaret and Margaret's research, because sadly Margaret passed away before the show came to fruition, but I think we also felt deeply committed as we Winterthur does is that Anne Lowe is an under-recognized story and that that is something that Winterthur is deeply committed to is expanding and recognizing stories that previously have not been told. And so there were so many points for Winterthur about why we wanted to do this exhibition. That's amazing. I love that you all have such a robust textile department because obviously that is very important for something like this when you think about conserving the pieces, restoring some of those pieces. And I think it's interesting and I also love this fact that Winterthur is going to be the home for the largest exhibition of Ann Lowe's work. And normally people would think of something like an FIT or the Met or, you know, Smithsonian, something like that. And so I think it's an interesting way to highlight her work and also highlight the work of the museum and Margaret Powell as well. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing all of these pieces come together in such a beautiful way. Now, has this museum ever done like a large scale fashion exhibition or a large scale exhibition on a Black designer before? We had the Costumes of Downton Abbey, which was, oh, wow. 2000, I believe, 2015. Very successful exhibition. And then when I came in 2019, it was just shortly before the Costuming the Crown closed. So Winterthur had this history in the last, you know, sort of less than a decade of exhibiting costume with a social context, because when Winterthur did Downton Abbey, there were parallels sort of the American story of, of an estate, both the people working in it and the people living in it, that was told through the costumes of Downton Abbey and then with the crown, also just giving a broader historical context to the crown. But in terms of an exhibition entirely devoted to a Black designer, this is the first time that Winterthur has ever done that. And it is the first time that a single designer's work is really being celebrated in this way. The other, I think, important first for Winterthur that there are several firsts with this show. One thing, when I came to think about this show, I wanted to be sure that it had present day relevance. Mm -hmm. And there's so much in Anlo's legacy that if we look at fashion today and challenges that designers of color face, there's so much relevance still in her story. And there's a really important thread there that we wanted to be sure to create space for conversation about. And so this is the first time that we're also bringing the works of contemporary fashion designers into the galleries in a way that is going to engage, you know, sort of the past with the present. And that was something really important. And I'm particularly delighted that we have a range of designers. We've been able to include from really well-established designers like B. Michael to more emerging designers and also to local Wilmington-based designers. What are some of the challenges, if any, did you find as you all were coming together and bringing this exhibition and Powell's work to life? I would say that the challenges 
that we faced, some of them have been in figuring out the treatments for the pieces. There's a wonderful piece that came out of a private collection, one of the earlier pieces that'll be included in the exhibition. And it's this beautiful white organza and it had had black lace on it. And at some point along its life journey, someone washed it. And so all the lace became brown. And our conservation lab really invested a lot of strategy and time and chemical even investigations to figure out how to revive this beautiful white black combination that was the original gown. So there were individual challenges with some of the pieces. I think one of the challenges that a lot of institutions face and that we, for the first time, really were able to do is that working with the University of Delaware Maker Gym, we actually had reverse 3D printed forms made for the gowns so that each form is then customized. And that's the first time we've ever done this type of form. We're actually the first institution who's ever done that. So, you know, forms are always a challenge when you're dealing with garments. And so that was a challenge that we were able to tackle with our partner relationship with the University of Delaware. And then we really wanted to have Anne Lowe's probably most iconic creation, which was Jacqueline Kennedy's wedding gown. But the JFK Library, rightfully so, it's no longer exhibitable. And so one of the challenges initially was just working with them and creating a partnership that allowed us allowed our conservators to come in with someone from University of Delaware. Kate Smell is the textile conservator. And then Katya Rolsey from University of Delaware were allowed to go into the JFK library and access Jacqueline Kennedy's wedding gown and for the first time reproduce it accurately in textiles. It had been reproduced by a paper artist years ago, but they're the first people to get in and actually make this reproduction. So it was a challenge because we wanted to be sure that that wedding gown was present. And we were so happy to be able to navigate with the JFK library. And then really to have the skills of Kate Samuel and Katya Rolsey, and then Katya's students at University of Delaware, who also helped in the recreation of the gown. And so that was definitely a challenge for us that has yielded something really wonderful. And then after the exhibit closes at Winterthur, we're actually going to gift the reproduction wedding gown to the JFK library where it will be exhibited. And it's just been a wonderful part of the project. Yeah, that is beautiful. I'm sure it took hours upon hours (laughs) to create or recreate such a beautiful piece. So I'm definitely excited to see that. And I think that that is an interesting challenge because that is the piece I think that people who know something about Ann Lowe look forward to the most and wanting to see in person. So, you know, obviously you all will want to have that exhibited. And so to be able to recreate it as accurately as possible and then have it now so that it can travel and other people can see it other places is quite an amazing feat. And I think it's a great step in helping to preserve Ann Lowe's legacy. Because one of the things that I did speak with Elizabeth about and from just my own 
personal research into Anne Lowe's life and career, I do know that she, you know, had been, had gone unrecognized for such a long time and uncredited for her work for such a long time. And so to be in this place where she's able to receive her credit, not just her, but other modern and contemporary designers are able to receive the credit for their work that they've done is such a pivotal moment and kind of a tie change in the industry when we look at, you know, Black designers and their work. So excited to see that happen here. So what is something that you want people to take away from this exhibition when they, you know, visit and and read about all of her work and the work of the other designers that will be featured? I think there are many things I'd love them to take away, but one I think is a really deep appreciation for how significant Anne Lowe is in really American history, not just American fashion history, but as a black woman who's emerging in, you know, and having finding success kind of against all odds for so many decades. You know, she's working, she survives the depression, she navigates this career so successfully, and she achieves so much against so many obstacles. I mean, even from her finally getting herself in a situation where she can go study in New York and study couture sewing and arriving and the owner of the the school then realizing that she's black and making her sit in a separate room for her education. And, you know, stories like that, that she had such remarkable resiliency and I think really should be celebrated and known. I think that the biggest thing is to share her story And it's so much more to me than these beautiful gowns. It's really the story of a woman who achieves so much success and doesn't give up even when the structure of the world she's navigating is often making it really difficult for her to find success. And I think that's an important story to tell. I mean, one of the decisions that we made was the logo of the exhibition is actually her image as opposed to the image of a gown, because it's really an exhibition about her and the gowns are part of her story, a big part of her story, but really giving people a sense of this remarkable person who not only to me should be celebrated in the history of American fashion and American couture, but also just celebrated more in a larger scale in the the history of really what we know of a lived Black experience and, and real triumph and success in the 20th century. Absolutely. And I love that you mentioned that this is not just about fashion, but this is also American history in general. And I think that's an important piece for people to connect because people might hear this and say, well, I'm not really, well, if you're listening to this, you're into fashion, it's a fashion podcast, but (laughs) some people might read about the exhibition and say, well, I'm not really into fashion. So this might not interest them on that level. But I think it's important to know that the fashion is just, is an asterisk to the story. It's really about this woman and her resiliency and all of the work that she's done in her career to have such a remarkable impact on history, you know, especially, and I'm sure that wasn't even her intention at the time, you know, she was trying to do something that she loves and serve people in a way that she loves. So that is absolutely beautiful. Just side note to that, I think, you know, Winterthur has always been a place that really celebrates American craftsmanship 
And we always think of craftsmanship maybe associated with, you know, furniture making or, you know, these other decorative arts. And, you know, she is the essence of incredible American craft. I mean, remarkable Mm -hmm. achievements in American craft, you know, in the biggest sense, in the sense of all the artistry, she was doing things that other designers marveled at, you know, her floral, her three-dimensional flowers, these things that, that she uniquely brought to her work. And so that's just one other, I think, connectivity for Winterthur is that notion of craftsmanship. And, and she truly was such a master of her art in every sense. I mean, all of us who've worked on these garments, but most especially the conservators and Katya who worked on the reproduction of the Jacqueline Kennedy wedding gown. It's a wonder to everyone who looks at these gowns. And these are people who are familiar with couture. And, you know, it's not an overstatement to say this is the finest of couture in general, whether American or European. That's the level that she was creating at. I'm happy that people get to see this in real life, in a sense, because that's not a benefit that we've often had with some Black designers, but honestly, some American designers that like are no longer here um, and whose brands are no longer here. We've not had the benefit of being able to see some of these pieces live and in person and definitely not on this scale. So this is definitely going to be uh, an impactful moment for the fashion community. And I'm excited to, again, see this come to the public and for people to learn about it. I know you've mentioned the recreation of Jackie Kennedy's dress, um, as well as some other pieces. But what is your favorite piece that's going to be displayed in this exhibition? Oh, my goodness. I have to say, I, it's almost impossible for me <laughs> to to pick a favorite because each one is so remarkable in its own way. I mean, I think in some ways it's not a quintessential and low dress when you look at it. But one of the gowns that we have, wedding gowns that we have in the exhibition has a history of being worn in Delaware. And the wearer from a private collection really wanted this very streamlined, elegant gown with this extremely long train. And I think what I find so interesting about it is that Anne Lowe created things to her client and what her client, what would flatter her client, what her client wanted. And, you know, that really is the essence of a couturier, right? Someone who Mm -hmm. can look at a person and, and really connect with them and create something that not only they envision for themselves, but something that flatters them. So that's one of my favorites. And then I will say that I find that any of the gowns that have these incredible sculptural flowers are the ones that I love. And one of the gowns has these sculptural grapes on it. And I do find them incredible because I've never seen anything like them. But it is very difficult, I think, for all of us to, for many of us to pick a favorite. Well, that just means that it's all beautiful. And no two are the same. You know, I think that that's the other thing is that no two are the same. And that was something she really prided herself on. And so everyone has its own qualities that make it so beautiful and 
memorable. I mean, I look at the work she does for Elizabeth Mance, the pianist, and Elizabeth Mance's wedding gown is so much of that sort of 60s vibe. It's so different from the earlier pieces. And so it's also just a testament to, I think, that Anne Lowe really, she had this decades-long career, and she really evolved with the fashion in a way that still was timeless. And I think that's something you see when you see this range of gowns that she created, is that you start to have this appreciation of her work over time. And I think you can look at her pieces and say, oh, well, they're all very sort of classic. They're more timeless, and yet they still are a nod to the period she created them in. Which is just, again, a testament to her talent. How would you say like this exhibition and the showcasing of Anne Lowe's work is really reflective of the mission of Winterthur and what it seeks to add to the art community? I think Winterthur as a place is deeply committed to storytelling, you know, storytelling in the sense of really, I think always Winterthur as a museum has had a history of telling those stories that aren't always obvious to be seen, you know, whether it's in decorative arts or whether it's in American craft or whatever category. And I think that for Winterthur, that's what this is. It's also just that commitment to the stories that haven't been fully told, really excavating them and being a place of dialogue around those histories, really a place of inspiring conversation around those histories. And I think it is very much for us a landmark exhibition to be focused on a Black creator, Black designer. And I think it very much speaks to our commitment to tell stories that previously we haven't um, made that level of commitment to, but that we have that level of commitment to now institutionally, I think is, is very important. And that's it, everybody. Make sure you find your way up to Delaware. Book your flight today. Put in your PTO today. Whatever you need to do. But you don't want to miss this exhibition from September 9th to January 7th. It is going to be the largest exhibition. You've heard that over and over in this episode of Ann Lowe's work. And you don't want to miss these gorgeous pieces. Some of these things we have not seen yet. Um, we've had not had access to some of this information just hadn't been shared yet so this is going to be the creme de la creme of exhibitions if you're a black fashion lover so you don't want to miss it as always thanks for listening make sure that you are following us at black fashion history podcast on all social media platforms as well as our website which is blackfashionhistory.com um, make sure you go over there join our email list buy some merch you know do what you got to do support the work that we're doing to educate y'all and most importantly if you like this podcast and you love this episode share it with a friend okay the more people we can add to the family the better and i will talk to you all next week with another black fashion history installment bye-bye